Alright, hey everybody. This is Scott. We're back, podcast number 14, and I am sitting in my parents' basement. Not the house I grew up in, but their their new house in Michigan. And I've got my first guest ever. I'm not sure how this is going to go. So we'll give it a shot. Um, So when I was a kid, I used to, our old house in Vincennes, my dad always had an AM radio in his bathroom. I don't know if you remember it. Every time he's he's shaving, whatever he does in the bathroom, I don't know. He's always listening to a little AM transistor radio. Yeah. And it was yeah. always Rush Limbaugh or Paul Harvey, or I'm probably missing somebody else. So today I have brought my dad, Bill Fix, onto the podcast, who probably started me in my ad- addiction to listening to AM talk radio all the time that my kids think is the most boring thing on earth, so... My dad Bill is here, and we're going to talk about random stuff. If you're looking for all tennis all the time, this is not the podcast for you. We'll get into coaching and tennis and all that, but it's not going to be super invested in the tennis world. So anyway, Dad, do you remember those AM radio times in your bathroom? Oh, yes. Yeah. I still do them. I still do that AM radio stuff. Love it. Who do you listen to? Um, well, uh, local Chicago sports, usually 670 to score, and... 1,000, whatever that is, uh, listen to Chicago Bears stuff. We're all fighting and arguing and yelling about what's going on. Aren't you a Colts fan? Uh, yeah, I am a Colts fan. I was, but, you know, this last game this year, oh, my God. That I was, do the same thing. I listen to Packers local radio after they lose because it entertains yeah, me. Yeah, it's fun to hear so, everybody screaming and yelling and yeah, upset. I, I have the same thing. Yeah. Um, so before we get to a quick reminder of our Moroshinsky Challenge, that is the one I asked people if you can uh, find some time to meet up with somebody for dinner, coffee, whatever, catch up with an old pal, send me a picture, tell me who it is, what you're doing, and um, we're going to enter that into that contest. March 1st, we'll do a drawing for a free tennis lesson this summer out at the Village Club with me. Um, so I hope uh, people are sort of thinking about that. Dad, I yeah. got a question. So okay. I did this Mershinsky challenge of finding someone maybe to go meet up with you haven't seen for a while. If you had somebody, who, who would you, who could, who, would you, who are you going to go with? Who would I go with? Yeah. Um, two guys. Two guys. Uh, Ed, Ed Ross, who lives near Lexington, Kentucky. Good old long-term friend of mine. And then there's Eugene Richardville in Evansville, Indiana. We worked together years ago, and good buddy. And I'd probably ask those guys. Uh, cool. I don't have anybody with a name like Rochinsky. We that, call him Ro. Rochinsky. Is that Ukrainian? He's, I think he's Irish. Is he part? I think we talked about it. Jeff, right. Jeff you're going to have to call in or text in, because we talked about know. it. Um, well, that's cool. Those are, those are good dudes. I know those dudes. Um couple of current business things. I just got to speak yesterday at the Michigan Coaches Clinic with my brother Mark. We did a presentation in front of, I don't know, a couple hundred coaches and USPTA pros entitled Preparing Players for Chaos. And it was recorded, um, mic'd up, all that kind of stuff. So once that gets out on their YouTube channel and I get it, I'll post it on my stuff so you can see it. I think it was a good topic and basically covers a lot of things I've talked about in the podcast about when things go wrong on the tennis court, how to fix them, how to prepare for them, um, all those kind of things. But it was a lot of me basically sort of reciting some of my past <clears throat> podcast topics. But I'll get that to you. Uh, another thing I had a lot of people last week, um, I talked about my friend Frika and his uh, voicemail to me about he's decided not to get angry anymore. So I had a few questions about how do I have a friend named Frika. Is that his real name? And it is not his real name, but dad will know this. I had a buddy grew up with our neighbor, Mike Marcroft, um, probably my best friend for a long time early in my days, but he was our nickname guy. And so he gave nicknames to our group of buddies and Frika came from, his first name was actually Christopher and it turned into Christopherica and then it just turned into Frika and sometimes it's just Freak. So that's that's why all of us have nicknames. Um, so I wanted to get that out there. And then lastly, a reminder, if you're a Wisconsin coach, I'll be speaking at the Wisconsin Coaches Clinic on February 26th at Lake Country from 1 to 4. Uh, two other great speakers, Tim Hartwick and Annette Malloy, covering a lot of topics for high school coaches. 
So, Dad, we're going to talk about pickleball real quick because I know okay. you've gotten into it Let's a little bit. It. I taught three clinics in the last week at Lake Country and realized how easy it is to teach, and I think I know why it's so popular. Uh, things I got, it's so much faster compared to tennis. The time between the points, you don't have as far to get the ball. You don't have to have two balls. You don't have to wait for somebody to miss a serve. Um, shorter time with bad partners. You may have had this, Dad, at some point, without naming any local Michigan partners. But if you're in a tennis match and you've got a bad matchup, you have to spend 90 minutes with them, three sets, and it can be miserable. In a pickleball game, you get somebody you don't enjoy, you play to 11, game over, a new partner. And I think that's a huge part of it, the social part, is you don't have to spend time with people you don't enjoy as much. Um, there's lots of different ways to play. I think the no long breaks, pickleballers generally don't play a game and then take two minutes and sit on a bench and go through all their tennis routines. They just, who wants to play with me now, and they move on. So, Dad, you've played a little bit now, gotten into bit. it. You've got some little pickleball. What do you What do you think about it compared to your tennis days? Are you Are you digging it? Uh well, first of all, I haven't played for a while. I haven't played probably in three, three months or so uh, because I'm playing tennis all the time. I play tennis three times a week. And I found that trying to put pickleball into that gets really hard on the back and the knees and all those things. Basically, I enjoy it. I like it. Learning the rules and learning the, how to play the game was just crazy. It just seemed nutty to me. Uh, the scorekeeping, the three numbers, uh, they all seem very weird. Now, after a while, I got more used to it. So I like it, but tennis is my number one. That's my go-to tennis. Pickleball's great, but I don't play it very much. Well, that helps a lot. Thanks. <laughs> really, this podcast is amazing. Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, I think people ask me if it affects their tennis game. Negatively, I, I always say no. I think it makes it better. The volleys, the quickness, all those kind of things. I do find it harder on my body when I play. I hurt more than, than tennis. I don't know why. I don't know if I play it harder or staying lower in pickleball because the ball doesn't bounce as high. But I find that when I've played, I don't play much either. Um, I'm far more sore than I've been before. Um, but it's coming. There's, well, no, there's no stopping it. It surprised me. I thought... It was kind of easy as far as athletically and stamina. But when I first started playing, it was like, whoa, I'm working hard. I'm moving, trying to move quick and moving around the court there. And I, I was surprised by how physical it was. And uh, that's cool. That's good yeah. to I think work I like it because it can be played differently. It can be played super fast, physical, I like tennis. Or it can be played... Um, stationary, stand at the kitchen line and just hit the ball back and forth. You can play it multiple ways. It just depends on who you're with. Um, but, go ahead. I think it, there's a great divide in the, the clubs. Divide. There's, the, there's the tennis people and there's the pickleball people. Like in our club, probably the guys that play tennis, 75% of them probably don't play pickleball and have no interest in it. And then there's a few that do. And then the pickleball players... The majority of them don't play tennis, so it's like there's this divide, which so far has been friendly, and everybody kind of <laughs> says, okay. It's not always cool. friendly. <laughs> now, that's the hard part with clubs right now with pickleball and tennis is it's still a battle. It's getting yeah. nicer, but for it's not just the play, it's court space. Because most places have to share space. And yeah. That's yeah. a battle I had at Moreland, and for about a year was the worst year of my career. It was so hard. The fighting, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll move on to, I want to talk uh, a little before, bit. Before oh, we go move ahead. on, the one thing that has had a reaction at the club is the, the noise of the pickleball game. <laughs> you know, that pickleball makes, mm -hmm. makes a loud noise. And that can tend to drive some tennis players nuts, but the, the majority have gotten used to it and like, what the heck, yeah, it's noisy, let's go and play. That's true. There's an article, if you get my newsletter, and I posted it on all my stuff too, um, uh, a guy named Joe Denifer who owns a big tennis equipment um, company. He did a study on the sound of pickleballs versus tennis balls, and it turns out yeah, yeah. the sound of hitting a tennis ball is actually louder than the sound of the pickleball. Yeah, the pickleball has a different, it's got a different tone to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I thought that was interesting, but the problem is the pickleball is so much more social, and there's eight people in the space. Most of the noise is actually yeah. from the people and their voices and their grunting and their mm-hmm. running into each other and yelling switch and all those kind of things. So it's still much louder. The social side of it raises that volume quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. But they're saying the ball is is actually not as loud as a tennis ball. Um so I want to get one thing that happened, and this is a tennis topic. They're all kind of tennis and coaching. I had a lesson this week with a, a player who I, I've gotten to know a little bit since uh, I moved to a new club, and she was just wanted a lesson on her, on her second serve. And I watched her, and she her first serve, she had an amazing swing, very well put together, built by coaches. And then I said, show me your second serve, and it was completely different. Didn't even look like the first serve. Had no flow to it. Just a whole different thing. Different grip and everything. And she had lost so much confidence that she decided her second serve was going to be a completely different swing. So if you can picture someone who has a good swing in the second serve, they just throw it up and sort of frying pan and bop it in. There's lots of those people. Well, this player is way too good for that. Um, So we had to work on her understanding that she really only has one serve. It's one motion. It's the same. My, my serve looks identical today as it did probably when I was in college. It hasn't changed. It's not as fast. It's not as good. Um, but it's the same motion. And if you watch me hit a second serve, it's the exact same motion. The changes at the top of the swing and what you do with it, whether it spins or pace or slower, faster, higher, deeper, all those types of things. So we talked about her having one serve that she can do multiple things on Instead of a, I wouldn't even let her use the term second serve. It was it was banned yeah. for that half an hour. We could not say the word second serve because when she said second, she would throw it up and <laughs> tap it in, and it was not yeah, very that's good. Horrible. Is that that's how horrible. you serve now? So you're uh, an old man. I, I try not to. I, I hate it when I see somebody just do the little bitty toss on second serve, and barely goes over the net. So I will go for it. Now, sometimes that does result in a double fault. But usually it goes in. One little story about your serve. You talk about your serve. Yeah. I don't know if people know this or not, but I think it's kind of cool. We went down to Texas, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, with you guys and your coach, your famous Hall of Fame coach, Ron Albers. Yep. And we saw you play in the uh, Junior College National Championship. And you were playing doubles. And you serve this, the ball. Is this Sean? Hit your, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Hit your, hit your teammate in the back of the head. I remember. And he dropped like a ton of bricks. Yep. Boom, down on the court. And I ended up taking him to the hospital mm-hmm. where they said he had a concussion from your serve. And that's really cool. Yeah, I'm pumped about that. It's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that's a great story. That was Sean Steinhoffel. He was my um, yeah. He was my doubles partner. That was my... It was my senior year, I believe, because I never saw him again. I've never seen that dude. So, Sean, if you're out there, sorry, man. So, the rest of that is what I recall. That was my last match as a college player. I knew I wasn't going on. I was going to IU. I couldn't make that team. And we were getting our asses kicked. So, we decided just to go. goes back to surfs. We decided to go full blast everything. I knew it was done. We were going to lose this match, getting killed. And I remember talking to Sean, let's just go out full blast, as hard as we can. And, and I had a decent serve. It wasn't as hard as some of the other guys, but I could hit it pretty good. And I bopped him in the side of the head, and I remember him, <laughs> boom, hitting the ground. Yeah. And I've never seen him again. You guys yeah. took him to the ER? Well, uh, yeah. Never yeah, saw him? Yeah. I think probably right now he's in a nursing home somewhere and suffers from dementia. Yeah. Because of the destruction he's in, of his brain cells. He's in long-term concussion <laughs> protocol? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, so the serve thing, we talked about having two, one serve that you branch off and do other things. And I know I do a lot of dumb analogies, but we talked about one about a tree. If you think of a tree trunk, the trunk is always the same. It doesn't sway in the wind. But as you get up to the top, the branches are what moves. Leaves are blowing and they're going different directions and all of that kind of stuff. So you can think of your serve, the, the, the trunk. Everything you start with is exactly the same. But at the top, you can change it. You can add spin. You can add change the toss a little bit. You can hit a hard, flatter, topspin serve, different locations, different depths. But you don't change the trunk of it. You don't change the motion of it. Um, again, dumb analogy. I talked about duct tape. 
duct tape can be used a thousand ways. It fixes everything. But ultimately, it's still duct tape. Yeah. Right? If you've got your emergency bucket or bag in your car, which you should probably have with some water in it and some tools and maybe some food in case you get stranded, whatever. If you're that person, I'm not that person. You don't put scotch tape in it. It's not strong enough, right? You, you put a roll of duct tape and those kind of things, but it's always duct tape, but you can use it multiple ways. I know it's dumb. This is well, what I do. No, it's not dumb because I've used it over the years for shoe repair. Yes. Like a pair of tennis shoes that have yeah. fallen apart, I wrap them yep. up in duct tape. We will have to yeah. that, post some pictures of your that, shoes. That, that drives your mother nuts, but uh, yeah, I used to yep. do that. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. Well, so anyway, with your serve, just keep it keep it who you are. Be brave. Um, think about, we talked in some podcasts, my very first one about Little Timmy Devil Faults Too Much. Months ago, my first podcast I did from my phone while I'm driving, we talked about you got to track the positive, not just the double faults. And this goes along with it. Just be brave, hit it, and keep in mind that if you go a weak second serve and it lands in the box, what is a good opponent going to do to it? They're going to beat you anyway. If I step up and hit a weak second that's not my real serve, a good player is going to step up and beat the crap out of it. So I'm, I'm losing. I'm just delaying that losing. Uh, so if you're struggling with your serve, just be brave. Hit it. Uh, don't change the motion. Change the variables of how you want that to go in. So that's a little tennis for today. For those of you who think I haven't put enough tennis in lately, I know who you are. Um, Dad, I brought up on here the um, yes. I have the Djokovic situation. And I can Ooh. tell you I am not highly educated in it either. I just sort of followed it reading on ESPN. Yeah. My only take is it was the right thing he didn't play. Because everyone else, from what I understand, in the draw, followed all the rules. They were yeah. vaccinated, yeah. They, they did all their quarantines, they did everything they could, but for whatever reason, Djokovic didn't follow any of those and tried to get away with it. When all those other players in their career chose to do it, he didn't. I think that it was the right thing to not have him play, although for tennis, he needs to be in it. Ratings will have to be down, because yeah. we're not going to get a Djokovic-Nadal final uh, we're not going to get the Djokovic Federer when he's not there. Ratings are going to drop. It's bad for tennis. It's bad for guys like me. Um, any thoughts on that? And I say all that on an uneducated, just speak well, in my mind type of thing. I'm a, uneducated too, but I I think like he has a right if he wants to to not get vaccinated, but also the tennis uh, organizations have a right to set the rules. And if he's not vaccinated and that the rule is you've got to be and everybody else gets vaccinated, then, then he needs to, to also get vaccinated and he has that option to, to drop out, not play, if he uh, doesn't want to do that. I agree. But if he makes that choice, why go to Australia and why fight it and oh, why yeah. cause all of that? Yeah. He should have said, uh, my thing is maybe... I choose not to get vaccinated. This is the result. I'm not allowed to play in one of the biggest tournaments in the world that I've won, I think, nine times or something. Yeah, instead yeah. of going and trying to kind of barrel his way through. I, I agree 100%. Is where I'm at. He but, should have been up front and said, hey, I'm not vaccinated. Uh, can I play? And they say no, and it's over. You know? It, yeah. tried, it sounds like he kind of tried to sneak in, which doesn't work very good. I agree. I mean... I'm not a huge Djokovic fan anyway. I think he's an awesome player. I think he's going to end up the best ever. I hate saying that because I think it's Federer or Agassi. But, um, again, those are two uneducated, don't have all the facts. Uh, who, do you thoughts. Dis- who do you dislike the most, uh, Djokovic or uh, Tom Brady? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's Djokovic. <laughs> Djokovic. I've changed on Tom Brady now that he oh, okay. doesn't play the Colts anymore. Okay. Uh, he's not in the AFC, and he's freaking 44 or 45 years old and still as right, good yeah. as anybody I actually was rooting for him last week and anybody yeah. that knows me knows that man that guy ruined my life <laughs> yeah. for 20 years every January I knew the Colts were going to end up losing to the Patriots about a game before the Super Bowl and I was going to cry in my basement and I could I just he was number one he's not in Djokovic not even in my top 10 I don't hate the guy uh, but Brady's definitely, I, I, I root for him. I want him to keep playing. Oh, that's good. That's they a, say he's going to retire. They that's reported a great, today. 
That shows you because you've matured and you've I evolved have in your thinking about I things. I am very mature yes, now. Yes, you matured. Um, all right, we're going to move on to just, I got a, some random topics, and I want to get into the topic of sort of um, raising tennis playing kids. If, see if you have any thoughts on some things. Money. Um, you, <laughs> money. Yeah, I, I agree. So when I was a kid, I grew up in a little subdivision called Four Lakes in Vincennes, Indiana, southern Indiana. And uh, we fortunately had, had a couple tennis courts, um, a three-minute walk from our house, and also a basketball court and lake. And it was, it was a nice place. It was not like a fancy suburb at all. It was very, I would say, middle-class um, working people. But it was a cool neighborhood, and we, my group of friends started, we were always basketball players, and we'd go down to the park and play basketball, and what I remember is we'd shoot hoops all day, and then we'd get a little bored, so we decided to start seeing if we could play tennis, and we, when basketball became too old or we wanted to change, we would start, as, as being young, we'd walk over to the tennis courts and start hitting balls, and then over a long period of time, it became let's go to the tennis courts first. That's the first thing we did. And then later, we'd play basketball if the tennis got old. And it just switched. And then it became all tennis because we all realized we weren't going to be Reggie Miller. Um, but we had some characters. I sort of wrote a list of some characters. Mr. Conklin. Some people yeah. that sort of influenced my group's yeah. tennis. Um, Dad, I put Jay Pfeiffer. You remember Jay Pfeiffer? Yeah. He used yeah. to come down and uh, I remember him working with me for oh, free yeah. just hitting balls with me. Um, Mr. Murphy, my high school tennis coach, um, he's in Florida now. Again, drove around in his little truck and then his minivan with tennis balls in the back <laughs> from court to court to court around the city meeting kids and, and recruiting them, and he was amazing at that stuff. Um, obviously, Flamer, um, my college tennis coach, friend, um, Hall of Famer in every Hall of Fame you can think of, um, Dave Hunter, Mark Esslinger, Mike Murphy, I remember playing uh, Mike Perkins on court two in one of my first tournaments. Yeah. And the trains are going by, and he got really <laughs> mad because I was like 12, and I think I beat him. Yeah. Um, Steve Doolin, mm -hmm. the Millers, Jason Miller. all the, We had all these cast of characters that we would play in. Um, and, and all of my friends down there is sort of where we grew up. So we became, we became tennis players. And I wanted to ask you, because I don't really know how you got into tennis. Because you well, played before we did. Uh, very little, very little. Uh, when I was a kid, tennis was just a thing we did if we got bored. Because we did the basketball, football, baseball. And once in a while we said, let's go over and hit a few tennis balls. And it wasn't any big deal at all. Now, I only got into it really when you guys started playing. Uh, I think I was around 30, 30-ish or something like that. And I'd go down the courts with, with you, and that, that kind of got me going into tennis. And then, of course, Vincennes had this huge team tennis league, which was a big deal in the summertime. And I got into that, got asked to play for a team. Uh, the Late Bloomers was our team. We were all Late Bloomers. What would you be now? Would you well, be <laughs> the, the actual bloomers? Have, be, you, yeah. have, have you bloomed? Uh, Is that... I think I've bloomed and lost, lost my bloom. Uh, <laughs> But uh, anyway, so I got play, playing uh, with you guys, and real quick, uh, years and years ago when you were little, I used to say, okay, Scott, you want me to play easy, medium, or hard? I have that on my notes. And because I could beat you so easy, and you were not very good. I was not. So we fast forward a few years, you know, like two, three years later, and we go down the courts, and you say to me, hey, Dad, you want me to play easy, medium, or hard? I remember. <laughs> I remember because you weren't very good anymore. And you kicked my butt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I wrote easy, medium, or hard on my notes here. Yeah. He has yeah. not seen these, but I remember you used to ask me. Didn't they always say hard? Like always, I wanted you to play full blast? Mm, boy, probably so. Probably I don't so recall well. ever telling you to play easy and let me win or let me compete. I think... You might have hit a medium. Maybe you threw a medium maybe. sometime. Well, that's, that's funny because I, I have that on here. I, I remember that stuff. And I still tell that story. Um, I know I told it to Ben when we played before. I would ask him how you want me to play. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let me throw this in, too. For your older, I'm sure you have a few uh, listeners who are a little bit uh, the mature listening group. Yes. Uh, I started with the Wilson T2000, and then I graduated to the T3000. Actually, I started 
with Pancho Gonzalez wooden racket, which had that wooden frame you put around the head and tighten the screws. Yeah. And, uh, starting with those things and the tennis balls, believe it or not, were white. All the tennis balls were white. Wow, crazy. crazy. What are you? Are you like 112 now? I'm um, 742. 742 years old. <laughs> like Santa. Yeah. Well, I've got some stuff on here. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned in the last podcast, I think, or the, the poaching one about not having access to indoor courts. And you mentioned money before and how I think I've learned to value how much tennis costs. And any club I've been at, I've probably hurt them because I want to have value costs because it's so expensive to become good now. It's not required, but if we didn't have access to that. So I remember us not having tennis balls, new ones. So I don't know if you remember, but me and Mike and Spencer and Jason and Dave and Mark and, um, you know, I'm missing all of the many players from our group. Um, we would get our old tennis balls and line them up in front of our fireplace. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. We, yeah. would, we, Mainly, would, yeah. we would put them in front of the yeah. fireplace to heat them up yeah. so they, we could reuse them. Because <laughs> sure. no one, everybody, we'd get our rackets and be like, anybody got balls? No. So we'd rummage around and find old tennis balls and we'd line them up in front of the fireplace uh-huh. and heat them up. Yeah. And then grab them and we'd run down to the tennis courts and we'd get a few minutes out of decent tennis balls. And then they'd go flat. We would send somebody back to our house, and they'd put them in the microwave, mm-hmm. and we would warm yeah. up the tennis balls. I've done and that. We'd, we'd run them back down. Is that? I think that's a good idea to put a tennis ball in a microwave. I feel like uh, that. I feel like that might have been bad. I think it's a question of how long you keep it in there. Yeah. Whether it explodes. Yeah. But I, I, I remember like someone would have to drive, ride their bike home. Yeah. And throw some balls in the microwave, and we'd get them, and they would yeah. they would bounce for a few minutes, and we'd feel like we had new tennis balls. Um, but it just goes into my, my previous podcast about when I talk about when you're on the court and you're poaching, play. Go go get the ball because not everybody has good tennis balls. Yeah, not everybody right. gets yeah. indoor courts. I remember you and mom got us a um, gift certificate to go see, go get private tennis lessons at the bubble in Terre Haute, yeah. right? Yeah, cool. That's the only time I've ever had private tennis lessons. Um, I took from, from Flamer few times in the summer before my tennis seasons but to go indoors and have that was was rare we didn't have the money and to you, do that you remember when we went down there and my buddy and i beat you and mark in double yep yeah yeah it was all mark's fault though he was terrible he couldn't he can't hit overhead still yeah hey let me mention one thing about the money if we got enough time you're yeah. the writer you time director producer of this of this no nope, nobody's listened to this crap anyway so <laughs> yeah. this is just us in your basement yeah. uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, money. Know. Interesting. You, you, talk, you first got started when you were a little kid, maybe 12, I don't know. And I we think went I was to, 10, 11 when I started getting okay. into it. Went to a tournament, you know, cool. And your tennis coach, Brandon, comes over and starts talking about how maybe we need to do more tournaments and play a lot. And I'm standing there thinking, you know, as a social worker, social workers don't make a lot of money. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, tournament fees, Tennis shoes, balls, rackets, travel expenses, and I'm thinking, wow. I'm not, and I told Brandon, I said, I'm not sure we can do this. I'm not sure we can really jump into this thing because that's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of money. And, of course, he encouraged us to do it. And so the rest is history. We finally decided that, hey, this is fun. It's worth the time. It's worth the money. So we <laughs> paid a lot of money to get, get you guys started. And it was all worth it. All worth it. It was a good, good time Not in sure our about lives. That. Really? You sure it's all worth it? Are you just being uh, the dad right well, now? Every second one, was worth it. The, well, no. Well, the one. Why thing, are you lying to my <laughs> podcast listeners? I know that's not true. The one part, the tournaments. Like some tournaments would start like on a Friday afternoon, and it goes all day Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon. I enjoyed that until we got to like Sunday at three o'clock, and it's hot. We've been sitting there all day watching you play tennis, and it's like, oh my God, I'm ready to go home. So it was fun until I reached the point like, okay, it's time to go, but we stayed oh, yeah. and finished up. Well, I have on my notes asking you, did driving all over and sitting at tournaments suck? <laughs> and you just said it was fun. I disagree. Mostly. I have, I don't have a tennis experience. I have baseball with Ben. I've spent hours and hours sitting at baseball fields and complexes yeah. and stadiums yeah. 
And I had so many times I prayed to please just let me go home. Let just it rain. Let it be over. Let it, oh, rain. Yeah. Um, let it rain. Ten run rule. Like if, if this team's losing, you switch. You know, I've talked to other dads about this, and they, they, they may lie to their kid. I'm not going to because this is here forever. If Ben's team is down 9 nothing and it's a ten run rule, I'm praying that other team gets that run because I'm going home in the third inning. <laughs> I hear you. And so that, I but you. I think there are, you know, for me sending you texts and videos over his baseball career, I think the the cool moments wipe those bad ones out quickly. Yeah. So if he's if it's yeah. a long day, but he gets up and gets a big hit or makes a good play or pitches well, I think those wipe it out. But I'm I'm fairly honest. I've had. Miserable times at baseball stuff, yeah, um, but some of the things I still have. I have every. I I think I have almost every hit Ben's ever had in his career on my phone, which I think is pretty cool. Someday he might he might care about that. Um, but I was going to mention that those tournaments. I remember Spencer and I. We always wanted to win on Saturday. Saturday was usually the semifinals, and we were we were pretty good for our our time there we always talked on the court dude we have to win this because we don't want to go to church tomorrow especially him <laughs> yeah. we stopped going a little later than they did but very yeah. church based family and he's like he would he would beg me dude we gotta win this we gotta figure a way out because I, I, if we get to the final tomorrow I don't have to go to church yeah yeah. and so that was one of our um, one of our big goals was to get a Sunday morning final so I have to drive somewhere um so, yeah, that was one thing I want to talk about is, is that. And then sort of raising tennis players. I don't recall. I may be wrong. I don't recall you or mom ever talking to me about tennis. Like, I finish a match. I don't recall you ever talking to me about tennis strategy or how oh, I played no. or anything. Yeah. Like, how to hit my forehand or should have done this. I don't ever recall. And I, I could be wrong. It may have happened. Yeah. I don't ever recall you two trying to coach me in any form. I've told people that I walked off the court and my parents were always there, but they, it was just good match, good try. You'll get them next time. I mean, I won almost all the time, so it's pretty easy. To, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to yeah. be my yeah, my parent helps. because your kid that walked helps. off a winner and I dominated in almost everything I did. Well, um, do you ever recall like getting telling me how to play? No, I always felt that was not my job. Uh, it's, that's what the coach does. That's why the coach is there. He's, he's to tell you what to do out there. And also, being a father's son, sometimes that coaching deal doesn't go over too good. Because, you know, you know, I wasn't a good player. <laughs> and trying You're to coach decent. Me, you could play. I was de- yeah, I'm decent. I'm a, right now, I'm a decent 75-year-old guy. But, no, I, I want to stay out of that. We would give you more, like, we talk about hustle, keep going. Go for the, you know, just general stuff. Not any techniques. Uh, I hope there's parents out there listening to that. Because you heard my dad just say he thought it was the coach's job. If you're a parent of a player, keep that in mind. Because the best players I've ever had, that was it. That was the that was the strategy. It was, we trust the coaches. We have a relationship with them. We're willing to put our kids success I guess or failure into the hands of somebody else and if you can yeah. do that with somebody you really trust and has they, they have a history of success your your player likes them stick with that because that's the best way to do it um, there's so many things that can go wrong when mom and dad decide to tell little Timmy how to hit how to hit <laughs> topspin little Timmy's gonna hate your guts yeah. Um, yeah so I was just curious if I was wrong about that did you ever do it to Mark I doubt it Coaching? Yeah. Heck no. You should have. <laughs> hey, have we got enough time for me to have a minute? Yeah, we're good. I have I no time limit. We're just okay, okay. We're just going. I don't care. I've never done this before. Uh, you know, you and Spencer played doubles high school, and we always knew that you were pretty good. You were beating all the local schools, Lagodi and Shoals and all the local schools. <laughs> all the local schools. Funny. That's cool. But... We never knew how good you were until we went to Indianapolis to a big tournament there. And you ended up playing, I think you played North Central, huge tennis school. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Rebuff or... Uh, yep. And, and then one more. Carmel? Carmel, those three. Top yeah. three teams in the state. Played those three teams and you won a game. You won a match. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. 
Mindy. And then you want another match, and I go, whoa, what's going on here? And then you want another match, and that's when we first realized Jens Spencer had some talent that was above the normal coming to Indy, the big town, from the little, little city of Vincennes, and beating these big top-level tennis teams. That, that was really a cool moment. I, I still remember that, and that was like... I do, too. A we, godly was, number of years ago. It was in West Lafayette, and it was my junior year, and Spencer and I worked really hard, along with um, all of our players, but... Mike especially used to come down that summer going into yeah. our junior year. Oh, Mike gosh. and I put a training plan together. Just the two of us. We didn't have coaches. Yeah, yeah. He wrote, he would, you know, Mike, very organized, yes. charts and graphs. Yes. And we had notebooks of the things we were going to work on today. Not just work. We, he would come down and get me, and we'd go and run the train tracks. Like we'd go, we wouldn't have our rackets. We'd go for a run, and we would run the train tracks as far as we could go and come back. Yeah. And we had outlined... Drills we were going to do. We'd feed each other balls. I mean, it was a whole summer, that. and then Spencer yeah. was involved in it, and we played every day. It's all we did was play tennis, hit on the wall. And that was the still the tournament I remember the most, that we went up there and knew we were about to test ourselves against the big boys. And our first match, I believe, with North Central. And we won a first set, and I remember looking at each other like, <laughs> nervous, this is serious. We, we got a chance to beat... What is considered the best team in the state. Yeah, yeah. And we just kept playing well and getting better. And, and eventually we, we beat them in straight sets. And yeah. I remember Coach Murphy wasn't there. He was at another site. Oh, my God. Um, he, he may have oh, gotten there at the it. end, but he didn't believe us when we told him we had just beaten right? this team. Yeah. And then we went on and beat, uh, I think it was Burbuff, and we beat Carmel, which is, if you know Indianapolis, Carmel's always the top. They're yeah. great. Um so that that was when we I think we both believed that we could do something cool. Um, yeah, and ended up going undefeated regular season two years in a row, um, which was pretty awesome. I'll get yeah. to how that all ended later. That's that's when it hit home to us that you guys had something special going there. Which I think is cool because we were not lesson takers. Yeah, we were players. We just played all day long. We played a ton of matches. We always none of none of us really wanted to practice. We wanted to beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> and I, I'd walk away. Spencer was my my best friend in tennis and school for years. We would play every day, and we'd have to. He'd get in his car and take off because he was pissed off because I beat him. And then a few <laughs> hours later, he'd call me or come yeah. by. Hey, you want to go yeah. hang out? Yeah, we're cool. But we yeah. we had such competitiveness between the two of us. I had it with Mike. Um, I even had it on here that did you know that when I used to beat Mark down at Four Lakes, when the match was over, he would chase me around the park trying to beat the hell out of me. Yeah, okay. that was it. I remember, I, I remember running home and hiding in my room um, oh, if I yeah. beat him, and um, running back into the woods by the lake. So Mark and I had some wow. had some battles. Wow. Uh, he did hit me in the head with a rock once, but I don't think that was tennis yeah. related. Do you remember yeah. that? I got stitches in the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, I remember that. That's why I can't shave my head because I have this scar from him. He tells, he'll tell you when when he hears this, he'll tell you he thought it was just dirt, but it had a big rock in it yeah. from a rock pile. Right, right. Um, so I wanted to ask too, just for people here that listen and know me well and care, the four of you, um, what was I like on the court as like a 12, 13, 14-year-old. Can you I'd remember say, that age? Say, yeah, I'd say generally pretty good. Every once in a while, though, you'd get a little all worked up and, you know, th throw your racket or something like that, get real aggravated. One time I had, I took your racket away from you thinking that was a big deal and I was going to ground you from tennis for a couple of weeks with no racket. Well, naive as I was, I didn't even think that all you had to do was borrow a racket from somebody <laughs> all my, else. All my friends had rackets. And keep Dad. playing. I, didn't ever, I thought I'd done something really cool yeah. there by being disciplinarian, but obviously it didn't work. Yeah, no, did, I think... That didn't work. You you were overall pretty good. Once in a while, there'd be these little, uh, little uh, testiness come out there on court. See, I remember it different. Yeah? I thought I was a punk. I broke a lot of rackets. Oh, okay. I used to smash Maybe. rackets up. I was buying a new racket every week, and eventually you stopped paying for it, and I had to buy some rackets. Oh, Jesus. Do you remember what you called me once, the time you took my rackets away? No. I mean... No. Yeah. You called me Little McEnroe. Oh, I did? Yep. And you took my rackets away. Holy mackerel. I wrote I it on here. That's all. Yeah. I was Little McEnroe. Little McEnroe. I could not stand losing. 
I still can't stand Wasteland. I hate it. <laughs> okay, so you worse than I thought. I think I might. I think I might have been. I remember some pretty bad behavior. Not not in tournaments. Yeah. I did it in practice. I did it yeah. at Four Lakes. I did it, uh, but I never did it in competition against other adults. But I remember having some. Yeah, you called me Little McEnroe and took my rackets away. Thanks. I could have been a pro. <laughs> yeah, right. I could have gone places except for those yeah. that time. I took your you funny looking Yonex. That Yonex was awesome. Yeah. That was Martina Navratilova's racket. Yeah. Um, but you know, Spencer still has a old Prince Pro in the bottom of the lake. <laughs> yep. Yeah, one of my favorite stories. Oh shoot! We were playing. I don't know if it was playing against me or he lost to somebody else. But he took his Prince Pro, which was the like top racket at that time, the original Prince Pro, and he threw it over the fence into the lake. It's we never went and got it. It's sunk to the bottom, and somewhere in that somewhere in that lake is still a yeah, yeah. still a Prince Pro from probably all rusted and. Mm. I threw I threw my racket one time. It was in a tournament in Vincennes. I double faulted on match point, lost the match, and I, I threw my racket over the fence, but I knew there was a grass field over there and it wasn't going to get hurt, so I knew, kind of knew what I was doing. That's about it. Oh, I still have it. I've throat. changed a bit. I don't get as mad if I lose anymore, but I want to know if I lost. I'm not a guy, I don't like to do anything that doesn't keep score. If... Someone says, hey, you want to go to walk? I'll say, all right, what are we going to race? How fast is it going to take me? Who, who's going to, how are we going to win this? Uh, I couldn't, if someone said, hey, let's just hit balls cross court for 10 minutes. I can't do it. I'll go cross court, but we need to keep score. We need to play points. I need to know, as bad as I am at math, I like stats and I like numbers. But I don't get mad if I lose. I get more mad if, it's, if I don't know who won or lost. I can't, that's why I hate yeah, soccer. Yeah. There's a tie. I don't believe in ties. I can't stand it. Do you try to keep score on your podcasts? Like uh, yeah, one, super competitive. Ten, one, one turned out to be a five. No, but I, I do track how many listens, and that has consumed me in sometimes. I'm trying to get better at it, but like I can tell you, you know right now, I have 989 listens. Wow. And so this podcast better get to 1,000. We're or, going for 1,000. Yeah, we're going, we need 11 people to listen to this crap. Maybe we can pay, pay people to listen to this and get that. Thousand. Yeah. So yeah, I'm competitive with that. I just even the first one I did, I did for fun and to see what would happen. And it, the number starts rising, and I start watching it and start thinking, keep going. And I, I'd get bummed when I'd look at it and it didn't go up. And I still have it. I just don't have. It's a different reason for being competitive. I just want to know the yeah. end. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. watch a movie and not see the end. Yeah. You know what drives me nuts is ball machines. I hate them. I. I've used a ball machine after I like 15 minutes. I'm, I'm tired of the machine. It doesn't talk to you. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't shoot balls. And uh, so I never use them anymore. Yeah, I can't stand them. Lots of people use them. I'm guessing they're a great tool. I've never liked ball machines. I, I want it. It doesn't talk to me. Yeah, yeah. I can't interact with it. I can't talk trash to it. Um, if I had one that said, hey, great shot, Bill, <laughs> I might use that one. They should invent a ball machine. That yeah. can talk some trash. Yeah. Or shout out like you could you could you could have it shout out like you suck. Yeah. What kind of shot was that? That would help. I would I'd be more likely to do that. So one thing about my high school last night, so I'm I'm staying at my parents. I'm in the basement and I happen to find next to the, the table on the bed is old high school yearbooks. So last night I get out my yearbooks and start looking through them. I don't know if you knew. They're on the table down there. Everything but my senior year is gone. I'm, I'm, maybe I have that. But um, it starts out my freshman year. I was in the freshman year yearbook twice. My sophomore year, like five times. By my junior year, I was in a dozen times. And you can watch the path of my tennis just by those yearbooks. First year, I didn't make the boys' tennis page. My name was there, and I was in the team picture, but it was the seniors. It was uh, Kevin Settlemeyer. Yeah. I remember Kevin. Yeah. Um, it was that that group of people. Second year, I got my picture, a little picture of me. Third year, me and Spencer, two pages about us and our team, and there's a great picture of me and Snapper and Chad Bell and Johnny Wick and David Ellis and Tom Lewis. Um, who am I missing? 
uh, Jason Miller, Brett, Brett yes, Brett. Um, I think that's. The, I think that was a whole varsity. There's a whole picture of us when we finally beat Jasper and won the sectional, uh, my junior year, and it's a pile. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it. You can't see Mike because if you remember, he won the clinching match. Yeah, I remember. He beat um, Alan. No, um, God, no, I can't remember it. I knew it last night, but. He won the clinching match. He had a one-handed topspin backhand winner passing shot on match point like Federer. And if you know Mike, Mike always yeah. wanted to look good. And he was yeah. the only one of us that finally said, I'm not hitting two hands. That's for losers. I'm going to learn a one. And he was terrible at it. And then he wasn't. He, he beat the crap out of it. And he smoked this. Dude came in. Mike passed him. And we attacked him. And that picture is huge in this. Um, I remember that well. It was pretty yeah. cool. So, And then... Um, I'm in that picture too, my back. Are you? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to look at it again. So some of these pictures I'm going to post um, on my on my stuff, so you can see some of these if you care. They're pretty cool, and, and to see sort of the, um, I don't know, joy might be the best word. Or just the um, you see the faces of these young 16, 17 year olds that had tried so hard to beat this. It'd be like the Colts beating the Patriots. I mean, Jasper was number one. They beat us. They said nine years in a row. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll post some of these pictures, but they just remind me of some of that stuff. And we're almost done, but if you know baseball, um, great player. His name's Scott Rowland. He's probably he's up for the Hall of Fame next year. Played primarily for the Cardinals. Um, he played for Jasper Indiana High School. So he's going to be a Hall of Fame baseball player. Won multiple World Series, became just this stud. Well, he played one doubles in high school, and Spencer and I played him uh, four times. And I... I've never lost to Scott oh, Rowland. Oh, man. Yep. I beat wow. a, I beat a, a soon-to-be, if he gets enough votes, with their, most people awesome. say he will. Yeah. Undefeated. So I'm hoping he may mention me at his Hall of Fame acceptance that speech. That is cool, yeah. About how um, he was a good dude. I remember him being ultra-competitive, great athlete, um, but not like a punk tennis player. We, we hated each other's yeah. guts because yeah. of who we played for. But... Um, he was a good dude. So, sort of to wrap it up, I guess, I, I, on all this topic of where I came from and, and hearing comments from my dad, I sort of have three people um, in my tennis career, other than my parents, that sort of got influenced me and got me where I'm at today, which is in my parents' basement in a tiny room, which doesn't <laughs> sound so good. Doesn't sound so good anymore. With a huge drum set. I got set. drum set and some blankets, and uh, it's kind of dark, and I slept in my parents' basement, so I've really made it. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going the wrong direction. Um, first one who taught me how to play tennis is Ron Albers, Flamer. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, coach at Vincennes University, national champion in 2000. Dang it, I don't remember. 16? No, he's been gone before that. Famer, I don't remember, but he won a national championship, and I mentioned every Hall of Fame has been in most of his players' weddings. Um, still talk to him today. He's going to listen to this and make fun of me, but the dude's a legend. He taught me how to play tennis. He taught me in addition to other stuff. And then I went on to Indiana University and worked for a guy named Mike O'Connell, who is a master pro, and I consider he'd be the Mount Rushmore of tennis coaches in the world. And he... Um, he taught me how to teach tennis. He's where I get my stories from. We used to challenge him as a, I was in college, and he was the boss. We would play this game in the office before going out to a group, and he would ask us, what do, what do you want to talk about today? And we could pick anything. We used to pick random sports. Like, I could say, all right, I want today's whole thing to be about volleyball. He'd be like, all right, no problem. And no thought at all. He would walk out. 30 seconds later, he's got 30 adults in front of him, and he's doing an entire lesson plan based on volleyball skills, how it coordinates the tennis. We could name anything. It could be any topic. And he, he would be able to um, turn that into a great lesson plan. And all the other coaches wow. are like standing behind wow. him like, oh my gosh, this dude's incredible. How did he do that? And I think that's where I get some of my sort of make stuff up. And I feel like I could probably do that today. Um, third guy, another legend, Tom Cascarano, who is retiring finally after 35 years at the Greensboro Country Club in North Carolina. Um, Tom taught me how to run a business, how to be professional, how to talk to people, um, how to advance my career, what things to do. Um, and with those three, 
like I said, those those are sort of how I've guided it as far as strictly just tennis. Obviously, I've got parents who didn't completely screw me up, I suppose. <laughs> Not yet. There's still plenty of time. Um, but that's kind of the story, everybody, of, of our tennis and uh, where I came from. And uh, Dad's, you're my first guest. I have no idea how this is going to go, but you're number one. What else you got? Just real quick, um, Ron, Ron uh, Albers, Hall of Famer. Two things about that guy is he would work you guys in practice until some of you <laughs> would end up puking. I mean, you would vomit. He was working you so hard. And all these years later, I thought it's so cool. He could make kids throw up and get sick, but now he's friends with them all and really close to those kids. That's neat. That is really neat. The other thing is, I went over one time, he had a two-ball drill, which is out of, it's hard to explain, but you run back and forth and they're picking up balls. And I decided, you know, I, I was going to do that. I was going to try that. So I went over one time and I did a two-ball drill, and this was when I was like 60, and as, pretty much as hard as I could. And my back hurt me for at least four or five weeks. I could hardly bend over from doing his two-ball drill. Yeah, so those two things I remember about him a lot. Yeah, I, a lot of guys threw up in that gray trash can just yeah. behind the indoor tennis court yeah. at VU, including yeah. me. Um, Mark threw up on Main Street or Hart Street. Opened up the door of the Mustang. Remember the black Mustang? Yeah. He opened up the door of the Mustang after practice and threw up in the road. That's what I... I, I think it was him. I'm almost positive. Uh, maybe it was me. But I, I think it was wow. probably him. But wow. uh, Wonderful members. Famer has uh, destroyed many uh, college students' <laughs> days and nights, um, but also helped them tremendously uh, get into the tennis world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Very cool. You got anything else? Anything um, else we want to talk about? Uh, I just I will just say I think tennis is an awesome sport. You know, guys like me, I'm 75. I play with guys who are around that age, and we have fun, and we actually play some pretty decent tennis. And uh, I played one time with a guy who was 91 years old, um, and he was still going. So it's a great game, and you can do it pretty much forever. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's uh, I think that's it, everybody. So let me know what you thought. Um, you now have met my dad. I'm, my goal is to have more guests on now that I've done it once and uh, see how it goes. But uh, let me know what you thought. You Wait, what else you got? Oh, you want to talk some more? Jeez. Super jab. Sometimes I want to come back and we can do, have a segment on the comedies. Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, right. The Office. Yeah. Cool. I want to do that. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will uh, talk to you next time. Peace out.